0: Hello, my name is Carrie Grant. Thank you for joining us on today's podcast. After 30 years of ministry, I have lost the amazing gift of verbal speech. I have a condition called abductor spasmodic dysphonia, which leaves me unable to make sounds with my vocal cords. I am speaking to you through an app called Proloquo for Text. We like to refer to it as my technology. Although, verbally silent for 5 years now, there is still so much I need to say. This podcast is a collection of sermons I preached before becoming silent, as well as conversations I want to have with you. I would encourage you to visit my website, silentlywaiting.com. On the website you can read my blog and find resources that might help you grow in your walk with Christ. Thank you for listening, and please email me if you have any questions about the sermon, or if I can help you in your spiritual journey.
1: Would you take your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Of course, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are a, a familiar sermon preached by our Lord Jesus. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And the theme of this sermon is living in God's kingdom. We find out through other passages in the Gospels, and specifically here in the book of Matthew, that when we talk about the kingdom of God or we talk about the kingdom of heaven, we're really talking about the same thing. What we're talking about is the fact that God is ruler over all his creation. Now, there are different aspects to the kingdom of God. There were, there are different ways that God has worked throughout the ages. We know in Old Testament times He was working specifically with His chosen people, the Jewish people, and doesn't mean that Gentiles weren't coming to Christ during the Old Testament time period, and by what I mean by coming to Christ, looking for a Messiah to come. They were saved in Old Testament times just like you and I are, faith and a Messiah. The church is now an aspect of the kingdom of God. And and the church is what God is doing in the world today. And it is through the church that God is reaching the world with the gospel today. So what we see taught in chapters 5, 6, and 7 here in the book of Matthew are characteristics of the way people who know Christ should be living. He's going to start out this sermon with those Beatitudes. And I believe the first few of those, he's talking about salvation. If you notice there, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. No one becomes a part of God's kingdom unless they come in their spirit in repentance. And he's going to finish up his Beatitudes talking to those of us who know Christ about the way we ought to be living, being pure in heart, being peacemakers, and so on. He's going to go on down in this sermon. We're going to move on down in our text here and see that he is explaining to us how the kingdom will be expanded. And he makes very clear that the kingdom of God, the church of Jesus Christ, will grow Because the church of Jesus Christ is reaching people for Christ. It amazes me that God has chosen the church to build the church. Now, why does that amaze me? Because knowing myself, I would think that there I know there are more effective ways that God could have chosen to reach the world than through someone like me. During the tribulation period, we read about the fact that there will be an angel who will write across the sky the gospel message. God could do that today if he wanted to, but he doesn't. He has written the gospel in our lives, and the gospel should be declared through our lives. That's what he says here, beginning at verse number 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. I want to focus on the question that Jesus asks in verse number 13. If the salt has lost its savor,
0: wherewith shall
1: it? The idea, what it is referring to is the earth, the world, the people. If the salt has lost its savor, how will the people be affected? In other words, how will they ever hear the gospel? Let's bow for prayer. God, thank you for the blessings we've shared already. Thank you for the commission you've given every believer to reach other people for Jesus. What a privilege. What a privilege. Help us to see our part in that process today and help us to be eager, to be eager to do our part in bringing people to Christ and we ask in his name, amen. I have heard sermons on being a light. I've heard sermons on being salt. I, 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 You know, I can even remember outlines or general thoughts in some of those sermons as far as being salt, you know, salt. Um, preserves and, and, and salt, uh, uh, protects in some ways as far as preservation, that kind of thing, and, and purifies, and, 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 but I've never heard a sermon on the question Jesus asked, and I'm sure it's been preached, I just haven't heard it, on what happens if believers become ineffective in reaching people for Christ? What happens? We are told here two ways that we specifically are to reach the world for Christ. We are told we're going to do so by being salt and being light. What does that mean? Well, if we want to know how to reach people, obviously the prime example is our Lord Jesus. The scripture makes very clear that the Lord Jesus Christ went about doing good. He said himself that he did, he always did those things that pleased his Father. He was constantly ministering to people. Now, please don't let the fact that Jesus is God incarnate be an excuse for saying things like, well, that was Jesus. Obviously Jesus could do that. I'm not God, I can't do it. You know what? If God didn't think we could handle this, He wouldn't have commanded us to do it. If God didn't have the grace enough to help us to reach the world for Christ, then then He wouldn't have said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But we are to follow the example of our Lord Jesus. Look at how Jesus worked with people. He literally... Touched lives. He was constantly with people. We're told in the, in the Gospels that there would be times that the Lord Jesus would go from one place or another, even, even across the the, uh, the, the the Sea of Galilee on some occasions, and people would hear he was coming, and large crowds would gather to meet him. There would be times that he would go alone to pray, and people would find him where he was. They would go searching, for constantly surrounded by people. And he was constantly touching lives. Many times literally. Matthew chapter 8 and verse number 3, the Bible tells us, And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him. He said, I will be thou clean. This is a leper. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. In Mark one forty one, we see a parallel passage here. Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him. Doing so would have made Jesus Unclean, meaning he couldn't go to the temple to worship. But he was the God of the temple. The one who deserved to be worshipped. And so he touched lives. Matthew chapter 9. Then touched he their eyes. According to your faith, he said, according to your faith be it unto you. Healing those who were blind. We could read passage after passage where literally he was touching people to minister to them. Here's my point. We've talked about this before. In just a little while, if the preacher doesn't go too long, in just a little while, we're going to go over and share a meal together. There will be salt and pepper shakers on the table. If you need your meal salted, it will do you no good to take that salt shaker and set it beside your plate, hoping that maybe some will just osmosis over. It won't work that way. You have to put the salt on what you want Salted. Folks, we as the salt of the earth must touch lives. I grew up the first seven years of my life in a home where the father was a drunkard. I was saying to someone this week, I, I, I have very few memories of my dad being sober. Probably I could count on five times, that I rem- less than five times, that I remember him being sober. There are... Certain sins that people commit that we might think, I don't want to have anything to do with that that kind of person. Alcohol is one of those for me. But I can't let the sins people commit cause me to keep them at arm's length. I must be willing to touch their lives. Jesus literally touched lives. Jesus was constantly in the company of sinners. I mean, he, he ate with them. He Talk to them. He went out of his way on some occasions, even to meet a woman at a well who was living in adultery and had been divorced and remarried several times. And Jesus went out of his way to touch her life. How many sinners do you know? Let me rephrase it. How many unbelievers do you know? Because we're all sinners. How many unbelievers do you know on a first name basis that you might even call a friend? Jesus was a friend to sinners. A friend. He was touching their lives, He was constantly in their company. How have we lost our Savior? What happens? Well,. Sinners who need to, need to be reached for Christ and with the gospel message about Christ will go without hearing from us. And therefore, we are disobedient to the great commission, the great command of God. I want to look at a few texts here, a few ideas, even in this Sermon on the Mount, about why we might have lost our Savior. Why? Have we become ineffective? I think one of the reasons that maybe we're ineffective is because of our indifference. Simply what I mean by that is we've just lost concern for souls. We've lost our compassion for people who need Jesus. There is no single word that God spoke that was unimportant. And there is a word that the Bible often uses for those who need Christ that I think is very uh, illustrative. It's, it's a great picture to help us understand why people who don't know Christ desperately need, need him. And that word is lost. Lost. Have you ever thought about what it means to be lost? Maybe some of you have at times in your life maybe you were maybe you were out hiking or maybe you were driving somewhere and you literally were lost you didn't know where you were you didn't know which direction to go maybe even someone had to come and find you that word became very vivid to me specifically when we were traveling in evangelism we were holding meetings down in the state of Florida and we were in an area that ocala uh, that that area is surrounded by swamps and and marshes and you understand that in florida they say that every every freshwater lake pond river and so on has alligators in it all right or crocodiles they're they're everywhere down there when we were there kyle was about 3 years old While we were there, we heard on the news that a three-year-old little boy had gotten lost in the swamps around Ocala. And immediately I thought of Kyle. What would Kyle be doing or saying if he were lost in the marshes? And in my heart, I imagined him calling for help. Daddy! Daddy, where are you? Help me! Lost. Who do you know that is lost? Who do you know that you can show the way, the truth, and the life? Jesus Christ. Have we just gotten indifferent? I mean, just to the point where, you know, I'm just going to live my life and that's, that's just the way I'm going to live. I'm not necessarily going to get involved in other people's lives. None of my business anyway. Have we gotten indifferent? I think maybe one of the reasons that that happens to us today is because we're so busy. We may not necessarily, we may not necessarily intend to be indifferent, but we're so busy that we just don't really think about people needing Christ. We don't think about every day we don't think about the fact that every day God presents us with gospel opportunities, and He does every day. We have the opportunity to tell someone about Christ, minister to someone who needs Jesus, right? Every day, but we're so we're so busy. We've got soccer practice, or softball, or track, or or band, or art, or homeschooling, or what, and those aren't bad things. Work those aren't bad things, things we ought to do if we can do. But we're so busy that we really don't see a world that's lost and dying and spending eternity in hell around us. Maybe we're we've become ineffective because we are lost, you know, or excuse me, indifferent. You know, I think some of this busyness, and I, I honestly folks, I think busy busyness is one of the Scourge of our age uh, in American Christianity. Maybe we need to see some of those things like Hebrews chapter 12 describes them. Wherefore, seeing we also are accomplished about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Those, I think, are those things that aren't bad. They're not sin, but they get in the way of doing the most important things. Weights. The word here, when he says, lay aside those weights, he goes on, and, and the sin which does so easily beset us, let us run with patience to raise the race that is set before us. When he says, Let us lay aside, that literally means we we, we tear it away, we strip it all, we, we get rid of it. Are any of the good things that you're doing with your life right now weights to keep you from focusing on the most important thing we're supposed to be doing in our life? Investing our lives in the kingdom of God? The word weight, incidentally, means excess. Things we add on to our life that maybe we need to tear away. There may be another reason that we are indifferent, and that is because of iniquity or sin in our life. Jesus is going to address several sin issues. He's going to talk about anger in verses 21 to 26. He's going to talk about lust in verses 27 to 32. He's going to talk about the things that we say in verses 30, 33 to 30, verse number 37. He's going to talk about meekness and humility in verses 38 to 42. He's going to talk about love. And love, obviously, those last two are what are supposed to replace the other. Meekness, humility, and love are the way we're supposed to live. But maybe, maybe it's a sin problem for you. Maybe you just can't hear the Holy Spirit's voice because you aren't right with God. What is the sin you struggle with? And by the way, we all have those. We all have our own unique lust, James calls it. We have a sin habit. We have a sin struggle. Could that be what is causing you to see a world and have no compassion for what you see or who you see? Is there unconfessed sin in your life this morning? Another reason. We have indifference. We have iniquity. We see in chapter 6, in verse 24, an interesting discussion our Lord has. He says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. What's another reason we might be ineffective in reaching people for Christ because we are idolaters. Now, I doubt if I were to come to your house that I would see any wooden statues or metal statues or golden statues that you bow down to every day. But what is it Jesus says here that people might struggle with? God and mammon. You know what mammon is? Money. And not just money, but the whole culture associated with materialism. Well now doesn't that word describe our, our day, the day and age in which we live? Materialistic. We're caught up with things. We're caught up with having, getting, owning, getting more. I wonder if you might be, if we might be an idolater. Maybe it's not money for you. Your idol is whatever or whomever you are looking to to make your life work. You and I worship whatever or whomever we look to to make life work for us. For some of us, that's ourselves. We are self-made men. We are we are determined that, that we're just going to make life work, and we're going to pull up our bootstraps, and we're going to we're we are depending upon ourselves to make life work. Life work. Some of us, it's another relationship with somebody else. If I if, if if I can't have the relationship with so and so, then my life's gonna fall apart. Some people your idols are those things we talked about a little while ago, and they're not just weights anymore. They're actually a part of your life that you could not do without, and to do so would be detrimental to you. You think you have to have Some of those things, or your life will just not be fulfilled. Interesting passage in Jeremiah chapter 2, beginning at verse number 11. Jeremiah says, Hath a nation changed their gods, which are, are yet not gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, saith the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. Here's the first one. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. You see, when we turn to someone or something else to make life work for us, we've turned away from God to do that. He says, you've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And the second thing you've done is, is you've hewed out cisterns, broken cisterns that that can hold no water. The, the word picture is, God is saying, Israel, look, you've turned from me. You, you, you're, you're trying the, the gods of the nations around you. You're trying to make life work with them. It's not going to work because I'm the fountain of living water. And by the way... Life isn't supposed to work without God, folks. So God says you're you're turning to other things. You're turning to other people to make your life work. It won't work. As a matter of fact, whenever you do that, what you are looking to to make life work for you is nothing but a broken cistern. It won't hold water. It's a mud hole. Who or what are you trusting in to make your life work today? Whatever it is, I can promise you it's just an empty mud hole. Because life doesn't work without God. How do we know if we how do we know if we're worshiping idols? Let me ask you a few questions. How do you spend your time? Maybe we could ask it this way how do we use the time God has given us? How do we spend our money? What do we do with our lives and our free time? What consumes our thoughts when we don't have something specifically we need to be thinking about? Is it easier for you to make excuses to miss, let's say, church or ministry opportunities, things that God wants us to uh, have a part in our life or be a part of our life, I should say? Is it easier for us to make excuses to avoiding God's ob- our obligation to God than it is to miss other things in our life that we've already talked about? In other words... Do I use some of those weights as excuses for not being in church or not spending time in prayer or not spending time reading, studying, memorizing, meditating on scripture? Or maybe, and this is one that I'm thinking of for myself right now, what excuse did I use this past week for avoiding a ministry opportunity? Whatever that excuse is, that's an idol in my life. How do we become ineffective? We become ineffective because of indifference. Because of iniquity. Because of idolatry. And because of isolationism. This is what we were talking about a little while ago. Jesus was constantly touching lives. He was with sinners. Now, even as we were talking about, I I imagine some of you were thinking, well now, I thought the Bible told us that we're supposed to be separated from sinners. Can I ask you to go in your Bible with me, please? To... 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Or excuse me, chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, Paul is writing this book of 1 Corinthians to a church that was filled with people who had problems. The church had problems. And Paul is writing to correct some. He's writing to rebuke some of those folks for things, sins that they were involved in. Aren't we supposed to keep sinners at arm's length? Aren't we supposed to be separated from them? 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 9. I wrote unto you in an epistle. This is, the book of 1 Corinthians is actually the second letter that Paul wrote to Corinth. He wrote four. Alright? He wrote four different letters. We only have two in our Bible. The book of 1 Corinthians is the second that he had written to them. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to keep company with fornicators. Alright, there you go, preacher. That's what the Bible says. Anybody involved in that kind of sin, I'm not supposed to have anything to do with them. Okay, what does the next verse say? Get not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for them must ye needs go out of the world. What's he saying? He's saying, Some of you have taken this too far. When I wrote unto you not to keep company with fornicators, I was not talking about people who don't know Christ. Because if you aren't gonna be around people like that, you might as well be dead. Because you're constantly going to be surrounded. And you should be. He goes in verse number 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company, if any man that is called a brother. He explains it. Okay, it's not with unbelievers that we're supposed to separate from. It's from believers. We're supposed to encourage. We're supposed to exhort them to get right. But if their heart is so hard they refuse, then we may have to separate ourselves from them. But, folks, this idea, please listen, and I'm trying to be as understanding and uh, and helpful as I can be this morning. This idea that we keep the world out there so that it doesn't infiltrate our lives is not biblical. We should not be running from sinners. We should be running to them. We should not be keeping those unbelievers at arm's length. We ought to be wrapping our arms around them. We have a castle mentality. We're in here hold up and they're out there and, and, and we're going to hide in the corner so we don't see them and they don't see us. That's wrong. Maybe we'll every once in a while tie a track to a rock and throw it over the wall. Hoping it hits somebody. Folks, please, please, please. There is a philosophy that's going around today in fundamental circles, and and, and I think it's one of the the worst things that we could even think about. It's just a wrong philosophy, okay? Detrimental to to growing the kingdom of God and the gospel. I have had people tell me, you know what? I don't believe we ought to invite lost people to church. Okay, well then are you trying to reach them outside of church? Well, no, I'm not doing that either. Now, folks, please understand something. We who know Christ are to be telling other people about Christ. And one of the primary ways we do that is not with our lips, it's with our life. And if they don't see the way we live, what kind of an impact are we making with our life? Don't isolate yourself from sinners. Don't isolate yourself from unbelievers. You know, and, and some people, some people are going to say, "Well, you know what? I'm afraid if I, I'm afraid if I am around too many sinners that maybe they'll, I, I'll be influenced by their their behavior, their lifestyle, and so 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 that I'm not tempted. I won't be around them. Can I ask you something? Are you only tempted when you're around unbelievers? I find that many times the time that I'm most tempted is when I'm around nobody. folks, if our thinking is I don't want to be around sinners because they may influence me, can I, can I just as lovingly as I can say this? Then you don't have a right view of God's grace. We're not supposed to isolate ourselves. Jesus didn't leave us so that we'd keep sinners at arm's length. As a matter of fact, what's the last thing He said to us? You shall be Witnesses. Well, if we're not with them, we can't tell them. But what makes us useful? And we'll be done. Let me just give you a few ideas. How can we be useful in reaching our world with the gospel? First of all, open minds. Now, I'm not saying we accept philosophy. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is even some of the things that I've said today, some of you are going, I'm not sure about that. That's not what so and so says. Maybe it's not even what I've been taught in the past. I don't know about that. Please let me ask you something. Pray about it. At least be willing to say, you know, Jesus did it. Maybe I should too. Have an open mind. Certainly we need open hearts. And by that I mean we need to be willing to to let the love that we should have for unbelievers overflow from our life. Have open hearts. Toward people who need Christ. I was telling you about my dad. One of, the, one of the things that I. One of the ways that I know. That if I live in compassion for unbelievers. Is if I start seeing people. As sinners. More than I see them as needing a savior. Does that make sense to you? Seeing their sin. More than I see a soul. Because of my dad. I developed this little philosophy. I call a rescue mission mentality. Rescue mission mentality. This is the philosophy. I am no better than my dad. As a matter of fact, I could have been my dad. And apart from the grace of God, I would have. And I need to always be willing to put my arm around someone like my dad to show them Jesus. Open hearts. (sighs) Open hands. What do I mean by that? Colossians chapter 1, and verse number 20, 28. <clears throat> Paul says, Whom we preach, talking about Jesus, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor. Now, what he said in verse number 28 there is, you know what, we ought to be living our life so that so that we're constantly gospel oriented. We're, we're living our life, that we're constantly uh, thinking about is this an opportunity? Can I, can I make this an opportunity to share the gospel? And I do that so that every man one day will stand before Jesus Christ complete and whole because of the gospel. And he says in verse 29, So, because I know that everyone's going to meet Jesus one day, I want them to meet him as Savior. I labor. And the word labor there means I, I labor to fatigue and weariness doing this. When's the last time? When's the last time, and I'm asking myself, when's the last time we wore ourselves out ministering? That's what he's talking about. The word strive there. I labor, striving according to his working. That means to agonize. Here's the question, I guess, as far as open hands are concerned. Are we willing to get our hands dirty so people can hear about Jesus? Are we willing to get our hands dirty so people can hear about Jesus? Down in the Atlanta area, there is an apartment complex that is owned by the United States government. They house in that apartment complex refugees from all around the world. They come there waiting for maybe citizenship or they, they come there waiting for another place to live or maybe they're in transition to another, whatever the case may be. They, they are housed there by the U.S. government. Whatever, whatever you think about that, folks, here, let me just say this. Rather than seeing statistics, rather than seeing sin, we need to see souls. We need to stop letting prejudice keep us from reaching people for Christ. That's the mission field in Atlanta, Georgia. And there's a church in the Atlanta area that they go every week and they minister to those moms who have little babies. And they, they carry the uh, food and, 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 and they, they're trying to help those people so they can have an opportunity to win someone to Jesus. For so long we've had this idea that we're just not going to help people with food, we're not gonna, we're not gonna help people with money, we're, we're, we're not gonna do those kind of things because that's a social gospel. Folks, listen to me. I don't believe that we ought to, that we will ever change the world for Christ by reaching the outside, but we can get to the inside by helping the outside. We can get to the heart of people as we help them in their need, meet them where they are, get our hands dirty. So we'll have the opportunity to share the gospel. So open minds, open hearts, open hands, open homes, open homes. Acts chapter 24 and verse number 46 it says, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house, to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Let me ask you, were people coming to Christ every day at this period of time? Yes, they were. Where was that taking place? It was happening in people's houses. Happening in homes. Matthew, Matthew the apostle, when he left his money-changing table, had a banquet in his home. And who did he invite? He invited some of his co-workers. And who were his co-workers? Some of the most notorious sinners of the day, tax collectors. Some things don't change. Luke chapter 5 and verse 29 says, And Levi made him a great feast in his own house, and there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with the publicans, the tax collectors. In other places, we actually read publicans and sinners. So who would that have been? That would have been people like Mary Magdalene. Before she became a believer, but the scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples saying, "Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners?" You know what they're doing? They're asking the same question that some people would ask today. Why did you let those people in your house?" Jesus said, "I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners to repentance. There are some people who are so righteous they don't think they need a savior, but there are some people who know that they are so sinful, they do. Those are the people. We need to reach. Let me just say one other thing. will be done. Open wallets. You know, one of the ways that you can help reach the world for Christ is to fund the lives and ministries of those who are giving to your church like God commands us to. Based upon some of the things we said this morning, how effective is your life right now in reaching people? Are you involved right now in any life-on-life ministry for Christ? If we're not, then we're not being sold. We're not being what Jesus said he was crucified. We're not letting the light of the gospel shine from our lives. So why have our lives become in with our heads for prayer friends?
0: Thank you for listening. If you have any questions about the message, please contact me by email. My email address can be found in the show notes and on the contact us page of our website. Please visit the website to find more messages and resources to help you in your spiritual journey.